Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to Glocal News in Social Artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton, and we have the pleasure each week of talking to someone who is working to build a more humane world from the inside out. And it's my pleasure today to meet for the first time by phone, uh, Yael Petretti. Hey, how did I do? Pretty well. Go ahead and say it for us to make it perfect. Oh, thank you, Dick. It's Yael Petretti. Ooh, that's, that was close, yeah. That was close. Yeah, you were pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love the combination of uh, as I mentioned to you in a text, uh, Yah and El, I think both are terms for God, in, in at least in the Hebrew. Is that correct? Yeah, that is. So you're you're um, you're kind of gods. <laughs> well, whatever, right? Whatever. <laughs> um, there is. Well, it actually that name means uh, ibex, to be exact, <laughs> in uh, today's Hebrew. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. Never would have guessed. Nope. And, Yael, you are being um, contacted and and on this show because years ago I had uh, the pleasure of being in Gene Houston's social artistry intensive where Carol Wachinski... Uh, oh yeah! Introduced us to the Compassionate Listening Project, and I yes. wanted to have someone on to represent that, and uh, I get to have you. What a pleasure! Oh well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me. And um, I should say at the outset that Carol has been one of my greatest teachers, my most treasured teachers mm. in the Compassionate Listening, and she's a dear, dear friend. Wonderful. And so I'm delighted that you got to meet her. Well, she was there two years in a row, and uh, I even got to hike with her from down in the the uh, mainland of Ashland, Oregon, all the way up to the top of the hill where her uh, family house is. And uh, we had a, a couple of events that were held out there. So it, it was, oh, uh, nice. yeah, it was really great to get to interact in a in a social way as well as a professional way and mm-hmm. she has a son peter i think didn't peter become a facilitator he did he mm-hmm. did and he shortened the last name to wash oh. <laughs> he thought it was easier for folks to pronounce too okay i didn't know that that's interesting well good compassionate listening project been around for uh, I think the web page, which people could go to, CompassionateListeningProject.org, um, mm-hmm. came out uh, in terms of, uh, I don't know, maybe you should tell me. Something about 1991 stands out in my memory. <laughs> Something about Yeah, the Compassionate Listening Project actually grew out of um, the work of the Mideast uh, citizen diplomacy group, and uh, Leah worked with a fellow named Danan, Danan Perry, who was a co-founder of something called the Earth Stewards, and okay. the Mideast Citizen Diplomacy Project was under that that particular umbrella, and so Leah worked with him starting in about 1990 to design and lead delegations to the Middle East, citizen diplomacy delegations. And about six, seven years later, Leah hooked up with a wonderful Quaker woman named Jean Knutson Hoffman, who was a student of Thich Nhat Hanh, the Buddhist monk, mm-hmm. among other things. And and in fact, I think he even coined the phrase, compassionate listening. Uh-huh. But uh, mm-hmm. Jean, Jean told the story of one day walking past a uh, I believe it was a church where there was going to be uh, a prayer session for the oppressed and the oppressor. Hmm. And 
that stopped her in her tracks because many of us who are used to pursuing social justice in one way or another don't usually think of the oppressor mm-hmm. as uh, one we should be praying for. But she went in to hear about it and then realized that people that are committing injustices against others are frequently, in some way, a, a victim of the whole dynamic right. themselves. Mm-hmm. And so she and Leah really uh, talked about this idea a lot, and Leah adopted what, what was now becoming thought of as the Compassionate Listening Framework, and it, and it um, has, you know, uh, five major principles, practices that we that we strive to do, and using that framework, they launched the Compassionate Listening Project in about 1996. Uh-huh. And so mm-hmm. these journeys to the Middle East, which had started back, you know, six or seven years before that, really picked up. And now uh, this coming fall, we're going to be doing the 35th journey oh, to wow. Israel-Palestine. Mm-hmm. And um, it over time, it wasn't just Israel-Palestine. There was also the German Jewish Project in 2002, which was impressive and extremely intense, uh, as you can imagine, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. bringing together folks that would relay their experiences and their feelings about uh, that recent history. And mm-hmm. also, around the same time, they Leah expanded the Middle East delegations to include uh, Jordan, one was even in Syria, Lebanon. But principally these days, the overseas trips have been to Israel-Palestine. And I was living in Jerusalem for almost 30 years. Mm. So I, I was involved in helping plan a number of those and co-lead those two. But uh, this, this fall, there will be two other facilitators who just did the 34th trip, who are tremendous, tremendous facilitators wonderfully vivacious, compassionate people <laughs> named Gil and Lori, and they are going to be leading the one coming up in late October. Is this uh, G-I-L, Gil? Yes, it's G-I-L, uh-huh. yeah. How do you pronounce Gil it? Gil is actually Gil. Okay, so Gil, it's, I think, is going to be on our show in March. I believe he to, is, uh, so he can tell you lots, lots more about that. Yeah, that'll be good. Right, yeah. So you were living in is in Israel in Jerusalem. Was that what you said uh, at the time that yes, you were doing yes. this? Wow. Okay. Yes, yes sir. Mm-hmm. And it was it was very useful because, um, well, two things. Because I'd been there for so long, I I had the privilege of getting to know a lot of very very interesting people mm-hmm. um, on all sides of the, you know, social and political uh, spectrum, I guess, you mm-hmm. would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was able to invite them, you know, people that had been, you know, a, I don't know, David Ben-Gurion, the secretary, sure. um, mm-hmm. all kinds of people. That, because Israel is so small, everybody knows everybody or is related <laughs> to everybody. And so it's very easy to, right. um, you know, find, and everybody has a story for sure. Mm-hmm. It was very easy to find. And in, in my work as a guide, I was a, a tour guide for that time, um, I got to know, of course, many, many uh, Palestinian friends mm-hmm. who were involved in the tourism industry also. And so it gave gave us a great range of um, folks to choose from, yeah. to listen to. So you... And of course, I wasn't the only one. Leah had developed a lot of her contacts, too. So Is this Leah um, Green? Leah Green, Green, right? yes. She's the founder and the director of the Compassionate Listening Project right. now. And the wonderful thing is, and Gil will tell you more about this too, is that, um, you know, it's not just to go there and look and see and listen, although that in itself, many people say, is a life-changing experience, not to mention a very good informational, you know, fact-finding trip, but but what happens is people form friendships and connections, cross-cultural ones, interfaith ones, and people there in the area can work together mm-hmm. on humanitarian issues and human rights. And people that come back 
can share their experience with other folks who may not have known many things about the situation, the people that live there. So it has a lot of ripples, a lot of ripples. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I just bless Leah every day for starting this. And Mm -hmm. it's just doing so much good in the world that I can see. I'm really happy to be part of it. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a sense of the size of that uh, community of Israel, Palestine, in terms of geographic size. Of, I'm in Missouri. It, it takes a, about uh, three hours to go from Kansas City on one side to St. Louis on the other side. What is yeah. di- di- the dynamics of traveling or time to get across the distance that we would see on the map as Israel? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're going to laugh. It's it takes one hour to drive across Israel, and uh, in in places, Mm -hmm. especially the Jezreel Valley in the north, it separates Samaria from the Galilee, and uh, you can actually stand on a not very high hill and see both Mediterranean and Jordan on the other side. Oh my! Very very small, and um, if you. And that of course it's complicated, like everything there. But if you're talking about including what is known as the West Bank mm-hmm. in that, mm-hmm. it will still take only about an hour to drive across. Uh, if you uh-huh. don't include the West Bank, it's about oh I don't know five or six miles wide uh-huh. down on one of the uh, coastal areas near Natanya. Hmm. So. It's very small, and you can drive the the Lebanese border down to Elat on the Red Sea Mm -hmm. in about uh, five hours, five, Mm -hmm. six hours. Right. So that's that. Yeah. That that gives a a good perspective. Yeah. I'm just uh, so curious to ask you, uh, did you go over as a, what did you, what's the name, a kibbutznik? (laughs) (laughs) That's great, Dick. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because um, you, you know, I, you had a history in in sort of activism before. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I, I went there because of that, I guess. It, it, I was involved very deeply in the Soviet Jewry movement. We were trying to get Jews out of Russia oh. in the bad old days of Brezhnev. It was the USSR, of course, then, and mm-hmm. it was extremely dangerous for. Jewish people who asked to leave the socialist paradise, uh, pardon the sarcasm, um, (laughs) because when they left, they were thrown out of their jobs and their kids Mm. were kicked out of school and they were often in prison, sometimes in mental asylums. It was just horrible. So we felt that we had to really let the rest of the world know what was going on there because it was so unjust. And it was a propitious time because just then, the U.S. was considering giving the USSR most favored nation status in oh trade. Hmm. And it was just at the time that President Carter started talking about human rights, that this would be attached to human rights. So we figured if we could expose what was happening to these people, mm-hmm. then the USSR would have a harder time getting that status. Mm-hmm. And it was there was there were a lot of that's a long long story but um, mm-hmm. yeah. the reason that I went to Israel in the first place was I had helped organize a co- conference in Jerusalem on this subject uh, and invited people from uh-huh. Canada France England the U S and of course Israel to participate and that's what got me there in the first place mm-hmm. in uh, 1978 my goodness right. yeah. Right. During Carter years, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, 10 years before that, you were active in the uh, movement that Martin Luther King was proposing and the the Poor People's Campaign. Is, is that correct? Yes. Yes, thank you. I was. Um, I, I was working part-time my last year of uh, high school in order to pay for college. <laughs> so I, I usually left high I left school anyway in the late morning. And instead of going to work, I went to Washington DC to participate in the poor people's campaign Ooh. and uh, re- <laughs> building resurrection city down there. And, yeah. um, and 
you know, it was, I remember Coretta Scott King coming mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. with uh, Jesse Jackson and Ralph, Ralph Abernathy and mm-hmm. others, some of whom are still with us. And it was it was just an incredibly exhilarating in a way a way because we had that leadership, mm-hmm. you know, of right. Dr. King. I think Dr. Bar- uh, Reverend Dr. Barber, William Barber, has right. really picked up the mantle now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, he has the same feel, the same feel to him. So there have yeah. been some uh, some of his uh, work that has been an active uh, some active projects here in in Jefferson City, Missouri, that I helped ah. that I participated in a few. So. Barbara does have quite a reach, and and uh, hope that it continues. Amen, amen to that. I'd love to hear more about that. But I, I'd have to call you back and interview you. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I could probably re- refer you to someone much more knowledgeable than me on that. But I, it's a good point. I I think it's a, a that would be a wonderful uh, way to have a guest on the show that's been active here in, in the community uh, with that mm-hmm. campaign. So uh, you've given me a little uh, uh, motivation to look that person up, and and I'll let you know when we have a conversation. Oh, great. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Absolutely. I'd me, love to hear that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you, in, you must have been living then pretty close t- in Washington area. In high school. Yes, I was in Virginia. Yeah. I was in Northern Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, talk about an area that was very, <laughs> I don't know, uh, the the activities of things. I know I was in 1968 in San Francisco doing actually some, my own resistance in the Navy, but uh, you were on mm-hmm. the, the East Coast <laughs> doing your <laughs> thing uh so it's it's yeah. it's neat to feel the the arms of of uh human rights uh joining together across the, the country and then around the world and mm. and our That's a jo- lovely way to put it yeah, yeah. Our, our journeys have, have uh, so many of our journeys have intersected in in ways like that it's, it's that just, is true it's cool to think yeah. about it yeah virginia was certainly not the bastion of civil rights or human rights, actually, I don't think it is still too much, but in those days, this, you know, the schools had just been sort of forcibly integrated, mm-hmm. and the children in, you know, from the African-American community were miles behind mm-hmm. the white children because their schools had been so badly neglected and, mm-hmm. and um, underfunded and everything. So that's kind of where... I spent a lot of time too was mm-hmm. working with these kids to try and help them catch up. So yeah. it was all part of the same, you know, the same, mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess, struggle. Yeah, same work. Ended. Yeah. There was that book written in the last few years, controversial, called Democracy in Chains, uh, written by Nancy McLean. And it, and it sort of has its beginnings in Virginia with an economist, James Buchanan, and mm-hmm. the work that he, they targeted Virginia as their their uh, test case area <laughs> to do political work. And, and George Mason University ended up being sort of their uh, home ground uh, to work out of. So it, it I'm I'm just thinking as you talk about what was going on in those days, there mm-hmm. there was a lot going on politically, even mm-hmm. though mm-hmm. it hadn't bubbled up so much to the surface of getting headlines uh, as other cities might have. <laughs> yeah, I imagine so. I imagine so. Um, one thing that really surprised me, and this was coming from the Southern Poverty Law Center uh, bulletin, was they did a study on the number of uh, Confederate monuments and statues and things. Mm-hmm. And Virginia had, I think it was 494, which was way ahead of every other state. Sure. Mm-hmm. That surprised me. Well, that's a lot of, of statues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure to uh, celebrate a a rebellion, in a sense, uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, I'm going to read for a second from the Compassionate Listening website. And, All right. Uh, I'm, I'm reading the section that's called About the Compassionate Listening Model. And my purpose is both to tell the listeners what it says, but but the connection has to do with this show, and I think you'll see it as the listeners will as I get to it. Compassionate listening helps us to awaken to what the mystics from all the great faiths have known for centuries, that cultivating the wisdom of the heart is the key to real peace from the inside out. The intention of compassionate listening is to access our deepest wisdom, to transform separation and conflict into an opportunity for connection, healing, and peace. And you know, I just get chills reading that little paragraph. <laughs> it's, it's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. my connecting is that when asked what the title of this show was um, back at the beginning, a couple of years ago, I said, well, I am a, a global news and social artistry. Uh, well, what's that? Well, it's, uh, it's building a more humane world from the inside out. <laughs> and Great mind. And to see it sort of reflect back to me in this uh, description is is just uh, it, it's just very rich, very heartfelt, yes. and I, I just it about really, brings me to really tears. Yeah, it yeah, really does. I understand. I understand what you're saying, and I, you know, the first time I really learned about compassionate listening back in about the year 2000, what I had the same reaction. Hmm. And it was it was like yes this is this is right this yes. feels right yeah so well it's wonderful the work that you're doing is just really wonderful well it it certainly feeds me I I taught college uh, health and wellness for thirty years at historic historically black uh, university here in Jeff City or in, down the street in Jeff City I'm in Columbia today. And I just had a wonderful, wonderful career experience. So happening, if there are any happenings into this uh, radio show, was just an extension of that in a, in a, you know, a different form. I don't do the mm -hmm. teaching here, but I, I get to talk to great teachers such as yourself and, uh, and oh, become goodness. a student, uh, which is part of the lifelong learning that we're all engaged in. So true. Well, one of the things that we always say when we're doing compassionate listening workshops and, you know, those kinds of encounters is that we are all students. Mm -hmm. We are all teachers. Mm -hmm. And we're all seekers. We're all, you know, and you never know. The person that's uh, right next to you could be your greatest teacher that, you know, you've mm -hmm. ever had. You just have to be open to listening mm -hmm. to the folks uh, around, you know, wisdom of other people. Right, right. There's, and there's great wisdom there. It's sort of uh, <laughs> uh, Jean Houston had a little exercise that she would do where mm -hmm. we were, let's say, 100 people in a large, large room. We were all standing around, and we were supposed to, uh, close our eyes and and be, you know, follow the rules here, and uh, and just gently, gently walk around, and if you touched, you know, bumped into somebody, you were to ask, "Are you God in hiding?" <laughs> and there would be designated one person to be the yes person, and so. By the time the 10 minutes was up, everybody finally had bumped into God in hiding. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, wow. <laughs> which meant, well, because if you bumped into them, then you became God in hiding as well. So, oh. so you know, it was, it was just an acknowledgment that, 
are you guiding hiding? Yes. Are you? And, mm-hmm. and, and, oh. As are you. I don't know if there was some kind of a response that would be given. So the, uh, yeah, the, the point being that whether you call it God in hiding or whether you call it, uh, you know, love inside or wisdom or all the different aspects, uh, mm-hmm. we, there isn't anyone that doesn't contain valuable assets <laughs> of those right. things. Right. And often they're and, in hiding. Yes. <laughs> yes. But look how, how that just... Um, it just confirms what we know from every spiritual path. There is some inkling of that, you know, whether it's the namaste or, you know, Christianity says to the least of these you do to me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all of those different traditions have the same, the same notion. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, it's so interesting. Yeah. Do unto others. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yael, we're going to take a station break, and okay. uh, when we come back, I'm I'm wanting if we can do it, if you could teach us a little bit about the process of uh, what a group uh, would look like, feel like, uh, you know, how, just how do things work in a in a compassionate listening experience? A training. Sure, I could do that, and I would be delighted to tell you a little bit about the Alabama. Oh, yes, and the Alabama. I got so into other things, I forgot the purpose of this. All right. Thank you for reminding me. You're welcome. Talk to you on the other side. Okay. Welcome back to Glocal News in Social Artistry. Uh, I'm your host, Dick Dalton, and my guest today is Yael Petretti with the Compassion Listening Project. Alabama, we got to get to Alabama. <laughs> or bust. What are you doing in Alabama with the Compassion Listening Project? You know, it, it, as, as, well, what happened was. Last June, I really wanted to go down to some of the places that were significant, are significant in the struggle for civil rights. Mm-hmm. Since I'm old enough, you know, to still remember many of the things that happened, right. and to yeah, I wanted to go and just sort of touch them, be there, and that's what I did. I I went down and rented a car that was really a jalopy, and then drove around a bit, and and I had no idea that I would be bringing another group after me. But I, I wrote a little bit on Facebook, which I only do rarely, about my impressions. And it turned out that a number of people were reading this, and they said to me, if you go back, we want to come too, Wow, you know, good. with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I said, if you're serious, you know, I'll put it together. So, so I started it out like that, just to take people... Um, more or less where I had been, but then, then of course, uh, it it grew into a full fledged, compassionate listening delegation, and we mm-hmm. called it Listening in the Heart of Alabama. Hmm. And so I worked with Leah and others uh, in the project to put together a a true compassionate listening delegation, which means it is not a sightseeing tour mm-hmm. per se. Mm-hmm. This and it, it involves going and listening people that we might find very difficult to hear. We might find what they're saying to be very difficult. And so, uh, and that is our practice, to be able to uh, listen in a respectful, non-interrupting way, put put aside our judgmental uh, habits for a little while, and um, just really be open to hearing 
people. And we found that, of course, doing this is a, is a tremendously powerful peacemaking tool. There's nothing that takes those, you know, the wind out of the sails of somebody that's yelling at you mm. <laughs> or haranguing you, but, um, like sitting and and looking them in the face and being very respectful and really, really then trying to find whatever positive motivations you might you might be able to detect under words or actions that that you really can't stand. So, mm-hmm. and then when you do, you can kind of kind of acknowledge those things and find a way to connect. And it almost always brings down the tension, certainly brings down violence, and, and it opens the way up to be able to make a, a human connection. It does not in any way mean that you agree on certain things, sure. but we all do want that human connection. And so we we work for that. That's what we do. And we we have, you know, you asked about workshops and training sessions. I can say just briefly that um, basically, they are interactive. You know, they're not lectures or anything, but mm-hmm. we we have a bunch of exercises which are designed to help us figure out what is getting in the way right. of listening. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, so I think I always say 90% of this is internal house cleaning. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it means that you have to become aware of your own biases your own uh, your rank you know where that where that plays into how you l- relate to other people all kinds of things and so when you know i we were putting together this trip for alabama um it was first of all the first domestic compassionate listening trip okay and mm-hmm. that really resonated with a lot of people because we realized that Heck, we don't have to go across the world, you know, to to find conflict <laughs> and suffering and pain. Indeed. We've got enough here. For <laughs> so, um, it really resonated. The trip filled up very quickly, mm-hmm. and in fact, we're going again in August, in uh, October, on mm-hmm. on uh, October sixth or eighth through. Oh, I'm sorry, I have to look eight through sixteen, I believe, mm-hmm. and um, we haven't even finished getting the registration materials ready and people are waiting to sign up. So this is Mm. apparently something that really touches people's hearts that, you know, not only do we want to learn and revere the people that worked for civil rights in the South, but learn about that, learn more facts, but we also perhaps equal or even greater goal of our domestic uh, listening delegation is to look at our own biases mm-hmm. to see where our own intrinsic biases are and how we are perpetuating the system which has benefited one group of people over all others mm-hmm. and it's very you know in a lot of ways i think it was harder to do this work here than it is to go at least in my experience, to go over to the Middle East, Mm -hmm. because for most people, they're not that viscerally involved in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. But here, this is us, and this is our work. And so it is hard. So we support each other. We do, you know, we take people who have already done at least the basic compassionate listening trainings, Mm -hmm. so they have an idea about our stance and our philosophy and how to do it. And we support each other. We debrief every night and about what people have seen and heard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from all the the accounts that I've read of just this last trip, it's, it's pretty life-changing for many people. Mm-hmm. And they're going out and speaking and reading more and everything. And it's everything I could have hoped for way beyond what I hoped for. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So... When a delegation, when the delegation arrived in Alabama, what kind of groundwork had already been laid? Besides your mm-hmm. having been there uh, before, kind of yeah. touring. Well, I sort of have a visual image of a squirrel running back and forth. That was me. I was calling people. <laughs> um, some of the people that I had met down there, basically African American. Uh, women who were, you know, working in these different 
sites. But also, I realized if this is going to be a real compassionate listening tour, we've got to have people who are not part of the civil rights mm-hmm. uh, you know, movement and who may be quite against it or have been in the past. So, for instance, I, I just went online and I looked up the GOP chair for Dallas County, Alabama, and called mm-hmm. him up and asked go. him mm-hmm. if he would talk to us. Mm-hmm. And it took a little bit of persuading, but he did. And it was wonderful for us. He was, you know, the thing that, the, the thing that I really learned that stood out for me on this trip was that, of course, we all came down there with our own biases, you know, whatever they were could be about people in the South. It could have been, you know, I don't know, GOP, whatever. But it was really good for us to hear people who kind of soften the edges of those biases by telling us their own personal stories and things that also hurt them or they felt they'd been misunderstood this way or another. And I think it was it was a very moving and growing kind of an experience for all of us. So we, you know, you can find things online, like the first White House of the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. We went there, and we, and we just looked. And and the lovely thing about it, well, I have to say two things quickly. One of them was just having people come and asking to listen to you and not interrupt you was a totally novel uh, <laughs> suggestion for most of these folks there. Sure. They just just couldn't understand why somebody would just come down and not try to argue or persuade or do something like that. Mm-hmm. That was one. And in fact, some of our speakers uh, were a little bit nervous about talking to us because they just weren't sure. Sure. But uh-huh. by the time we finished with them, you know, we were all <laughs> almost family. But so that was one thing. And uh, it was quite different than the Middle Eastern tours because you know, in the Middle East, all you have to do is say good morning to somebody and they'll start telling you about their deepest <laughs> woes and, com- you know, griefs and grievances. And mm-hmm. here they were really just getting to know us. And so they were not about to dive into, you know, their most oh, intimate right. and emotional experiences. Although at the end of an hour, they often were sharing things that were quite, mm-hmm. quite deep and emotional for them. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so can I, I can I just ask yes. uh, practically, is this like a small in the delegation, a small group of people in a room with one individual and everyone is listening except for the person you're wanting to hear from? Is that the way? Yes, in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. in general. Mm-hmm. But what happened sometimes was that I would have one speaker lined up and then three would show up. Ah. <laughs> Okay, and you would um, be the moderator in a sense of, uh, of. Well, one of us would. One of yeah. us would. Mm-hmm. Um, there were three of us leading this trip, and so uh, it, it was um, my friend Will Osman who was doing a lot of the anti-bias training work before and during the trip, mm-hmm. and another fellow facilitator, Susan Partnell, and so each of us would take turns, kind of doing that. Um, in other words, thanking the speaker and then inviting, you know, a moment of silence just to reflect on what we'd heard and then inviting the listeners to offer appreciations or whatever they wanted to say. And what we found that when you become more skilled, when you become skilled at this, well, hopefully, um, you can even ask people the hard questions. You know, this is not passive, by the way. This is not just letting people tell you what they think and then letting them think that you agree with them. Hmm. This is not that, um, because we also work very hard on how to use language in such a way that the people we're addressing can hear us without running away to their defenses. So, Would would we call that nonviolent communication in another setting? Very similar, yeah. And I can give you one example where we had a, a, a very polished, handsome, well, very knowledgeable uh, historian and a lawyer speaking to us in Alabama. And because of him, we ended up in the Alabama State Capitol building, which we didn't expect to do before. <laughs> but he was there, and it was very clear that he was giving us an absolute deluge of facts as he knew them about 
Civil War history in the South. And we listened and listened. And it was really hard to get a word in edgewise uh, at the end just to tell him that we were an hour over time and we had to leave. But what happened was one of our delegates, who happened to be the one African-American member of our group, Mm-hmm. went up to him, and I was standing close to him together, too, because we were all saying goodbye. And um, this delegate said very, very gently to him and quietly, he said, you know, yesterday we went over to the Equal Justice Initiatives Memorial to the lynching victims, and I wonder if you've ever been there. Hmm. And the man just, he looked down and he very softly said, no. And I know there were ugly things, he said. And then that was all we had to do was, you know, just be able to say that very gently. And and I think that next time we go, we might be able to invite the same man mm-hmm. to go with us and we would support him mm-hmm. and, wow. you know, hold his hand. I don't know. But sure. I think that's what our aim is. And um, to sort of bring this healing to people who really need it. And and as you're saying, uh, all through this, it the healing works both ways, and uh, yes, yeah, yes. So many right. times it's, we don't know how much healing we personally need. <laughs> us, us do-gooders, <laughs> <True>. you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is true. Uh, that is very true. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's why this makes so much sense to me. This work makes so much sense because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have been around other uh, peace peace communities, peacemaking communities and mm-hmm. movements and organizations. And, and my experience is many of those folks are not peaceful at uh, all. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and compassionate listening makes a lot of sense to me because it's, it's, a, it's about that. It's about not changing who's dominating it's about bringing everybody together it's not about persuasion it's about connection Mm -hmm. and then what happens is the transformation you know the transformative behavior and attitudes happen you don't have to force them Mm -hmm. they will happen because people i'm telling you i can't even tell you how many times i've heard people say something along the lines of well you know maybe i did do that wrong or maybe i shouldn't have said or maybe i what you know People will get to their own realizations very often if you let them. Mm-hmm. You know, there's uh, been a, um, I would say, fairly significant shift going on present day in, I'm going to move back to Israel, Palestine, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. with the president's uh, new proposal for how things go and then how it's being laid out that you're I'm sure you're familiar with the 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 sound of it anyway um yeah to me it it sounds like a a recipe for increased um hopelessness <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, I wondered if you could respond in any way to my thought it sounds like that to me too uh, I don't see how you can impose, you know, if if the powers that be here think that they can just crush a human rights movement, mm-hmm. a national u- movement for human rights, by removing all of the financial aid, which keeps many of them going, mm-hmm. um, and just bullying them and just presenting something that does not take them into account. Mm-hmm. They're wrong. They don't know the Palestinians. Mm. They are proud people. Mm-hmm. They are determined that they'll hang on no matter what. Mm-hmm. They love their land beyond anything we can imagine. It is mm-hmm. it's like a child to them. And I just see this as another attempt, and I, and I have to say it's pretty arrogant, from people that really don't know the history or the people there. And I... It's an attempt by um, a Western, you know, superior power to impose a, a situation that, that would be nice for it. But I think it's a non-starter. I, that's what I thought the minute I heard about it was, this is ridiculous. Nobody's even going to pay attention to it. Mm. Well, yeah, I, I imagine. 
imagine we'll. How do you really feel about that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I will probably yeah. get to hear more uh, views on that yeah. in March when uh, yeah. when I talk to the the folks that are uh, representing the the Israel Palestine delegation. Yes. Um, yes. And and we have our own uh, fellow here in Columbia, Missouri. I believe his name is George Smith, a Nobel Prize winner uh, recently, mm-hmm. and he's he is so uh, taken with the Palestinian plight. Uh, I'm going to just use that word, probably much yeah. better words. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to recontacting him. He was so busy when he just got the the Nobel Prize that everybody wanted to talk to him. So. Mm-hmm. As the spring comes along, I, I hope that uh, George will be able to find a minute to come on over to the show, and we'll we'll talk about another viewpoint on that oh, whole. That would situation. be great. That would be great. I think yeah. we all need more education on the perspectives that are going on, and that that there's so many. So many people feel they're right, <laughs> and how do we listen to everybody True. that thinks that they're right, and then and then what do you do? Um, well, you know the old joke about the rabbi that's listening to the two people argue, and he says to one, you're right, and then he looks at the second one, and he says, you're right, and then they say, how can we both be right? And he says, you're right. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Well... Um, well, one of the things, one of the major ideas in compassionate listening is, you know, everybody does want to be right. And in fact, we often think our lives depend on that. But we think that everybody has a little piece of what's right. And if we don't listen to each other, we won't be able to put it all together in a big picture, like a jigsaw mm-hmm. puzzle. Mm-hmm. Like the seven people, the seven blind people that are put in a room with an elephant. They all, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. You're yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, each of them was right. But, uh, you got to put the whole True. whole puzzle together. Uh, I, there was there's another person that I wanted to just check with you to see if you came across in your travels. Don Beck. Uh, does that ring a bell at all with uh, spiral dynamics and and uh, the Centers for Emergency? Emergence. Well, emergency, emergence. Um, I'm sorry to say no. <laughs> okay. Well, they had a a, a project uh, in the Israel Palestine area, uh, a center for emergence there, and uh, mm-hmm. there's they had another. I wouldn't say similar process uh, to compassionate listening, but. I would say the compassionate listening was a component of their uh, endeavor. And so uh-huh. he was another presenter at, at the, the social artistry intensives that Gene Houston had and uh, and connected with that area. So I, I just wanted to check it out with you to see if yeah. you had to come across I, You know, something. I'm just, I have not yet, mm-hmm. but it doesn't surprise me at all because it seems like just being able to listen is the bedrock of any other kind of piece work you want to do, mm-hmm. right? Right. And and if people here listening wanted to learn how to listen in a more, mm, I don't know, a, a way that you teach, uh, what would they need to do? Is there a, do you have online classes or do people have to, travel somewhere or or is there books well, to read or all of this yes and the best way to um, find out about all of those things I think is to go to uh, the compassionate listening.org website mm-hmm. and you'll find a lot of things like that mm-hmm. and um, there are facilitators who are starting to spread out over the country now mm-hmm. um, and there are plenty of great books to read mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there are workshops. I know that there are online web you know, web uh, classes going on now. Oh, okay, great. And we can, if there's, I mean, if there is uh, a demand, if people want that, mm-hmm. we're here, you know, and wanting to set up these things 
So it, it would be great. It would be wonderful. And mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be just for conflicts. Um, this can also be in your own family if you want to deepen a relationship or try and heal one that's broken or, you know, it, it works everywhere. Yeah. Well, because uh, being right is everywhere. <laughs> I'm right. The dishes go over here. <laughs> uh, yeah. Happens yeah. everywhere. Well, you know, Pima, Pima Chodron, what is, her name is. Yeah. Yes. She says, it is so liberating just to realize that you don't have to be right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're right, honey. <laughs> <laughs> yes, dear. <laughs> Oh, boy. Great. Well, uh, we're closing in on our last uh, couple of minutes. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to say, Yael, would you kind of close this out with uh, any any process or any anything that you would like to lead us in and or or share in the last, uh, let's say, minute and a half? Oh, thank you. Thank you, Dick. You know, I'm just looking at something that Leah wrote down, and I think this really sums it up so nicely. She said, yes, this is an important time of calling out, you know, in quotes, the isms. That means racism, Mm -hmm. uh, all of the other isms that we use to separate ourselves from others. And it's a time of stepping forward as allies But it's equally important that we call in, in quotes, compassion as the very ground that we stand on to do this hard work of unpacking and healing eons of pain, abuse, domination, genocide, and slavery. Otherwise, it's just about changing who's on top, and that perpetuates the dominator model rather than heals it. I think that's really a good way to sum it up what we're trying to do wonderful is change the paradigm from mm-hmm. competition to cooperation you know from being advers- adversaries to being mutually beneficial yeah that reminds me of another book but <laughs> that we'll save yeah. that for another day <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless your heart. So good to well, meet I, you. Yeah, I thank you so much. I thank you yeah. so much for having this conversation with me. And um, I really appreciate all the lovely work you're doing. Well, thank you. It's my and my sincere pleasure. And so, Yael Patretti, uh, more or <laughs> less, <laughs> uh, thank you so much. And I hope to meet you before too long. Well. And I'll certainly okay. get to talk to your friends soon. And Certainly. I think you'll enjoy them. And folks, uh, wherever you are, remember, that is your world. Please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it. Because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care and talk to you soon. <laughs>